Chapter 5 of The Radio Planet. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kirill Demyaninko. The Radio Planet by Ralph Milne Farley. Chapter 5. Lost Amid the Rocks. But although Miles Cabot was lost, he was free for the first time since his return to Paris. And not disheartened, he arose and proceeded along the trail, looking for food and a place to spend the night, and presently came upon a green cow, as he would want to call the aphids which are kept by both Cupians and Formians for the honeydew which they produce. It made no objection to Cabot's approach, nor to his manipulating of the two horns which projected from its back, with the result that the tired man was presently regaling himself with a satisfying draught of green milk from the leafy cup. The bush which furnished the leaf to fashion the cup closely resembled the tartan bushes of Cupia, whose heart-shaped leaves are put to so many uses in that country. Miles Cabot accordingly stripped off a considerable portion of the foliage and lay down in a bed of warm, thick green for the night. The morning dawned silver bright. Miles drew another meal from the grazing aphid and then pressed on up the rocky defile. He did not dare return for fear of meeting Edmund, and besides, now that a night's rest had to some extent tempered his chagrin at not catching up with a particular ant-man who he had been pursuing, he could not be sure he had taken the wrong road after all. So on he went up the rocky path. Around noon, the path petered out at the top of an eminence, which gave Cabot an opportunity to survey the surrounding scenery. To the westward lay the city from which he had fled. What had become, he wondered, of the supporters of his friend Dago, and of Formus, the ant-queen, whose cause he had disposed? According to Emu, Dago and Formus were both dead, or Cabot would have never deserted them. Cabot turned his attention next to the northward. His great joy, on the next peak to the one where he sat, there stood two rough wooden towers, spanned by an aerial. He decided to cut across country and attempt to approach the installation by stealth, so he started scrambling down into the intervening valley. Never before had the Earthmen traveled through such difficult country. As soon as he had gone a short distance below the summit, he encountered a continuous expanse of boulders, ranging in size from a man's head to twenty feet or more in diameter, and piled aimlessly together, lying crossways in every direction, upon and between the rocks, were the gaunt skeletons of foe and trees, in all stages of decay. The sharp edges of the rock cut and tore the bare feet of the earthman, while the splinters of the fallen trees jabbed his body. Time and again he slipped and nearly fell into one of the chasms which yawned between the boulders, and on one of those occasions he must have inadvertently let go of the ant-rifle, which he had treasured so far so carefully, for presently he noticed that it was gone. But to all this, there was one extenuating feature, although Miles did not realize it at the time, namely that his physical pain and the need for constant vigilance on his part so occupied his mind as to spare him from the mental pain which yet has been almost constant companion since his return to Porsche. The attention necessary to avoid misjudging a step or slipping into a dark, deep hole, or being impaled by a tree branch, crowded out of his mind even his great love and anxiety for Princess Lilla and Baby Q. Through the maze of obstacles, Cabot toiled all day long. Oh, to reach the radio station established by his enemy, Yuri, and get into touch with his own continent. Thus he could learn what has happened in Kupia, and also give word of his safe arrival on the planet. Safe. <laughs> he smiled grimly at the word. I must reach that station, he thought. And then, when I have talked with Kupia, I must secure a Formian plane by hook or by crook and brave the boiling seas. 
If ants have crossed these seas safely, if Yuri has safely crossed them twice, then why cannot I, the Minorian? As he communed thus with himself, a faint pink flush appeared in the sky. Slowly, painfully, he continued his way. Gradually, the pink light turned to crimson in the west, and then darkened to a royal purple. Gradually, the black night crept out, out of the east. But also, gradually, the boulders became smaller and smaller as he clambered upward, until just as darkness finally enveloped the planet, the tired man gained the smooth rocks of the summit and lay down amid some leaves. He had had nothing to eat or drink since his breakfast of green milk that morning. He had undergone an exhausting journey. His feet were bruised and cut, his body covered with innumerable scratches, and he was weary, thirsty, and hungry. But he had almost reached the point which he had been seeking, and this thought comforted him as his eyes closed in a healthy and dreamless sleep. Next morning, early he was up, rested, parched, and ravenous. As the first faint pink tinged the eastern sky, Miles Cabot shook off the leaves and completed the ascent. It only required a few moments for him to reach the top, a narrow plateau, about a mile in length, near the farther end of which there stood a small cabin with its two towers and aerial. With a cry of joy, which he knew the earless foremans could not hear, he raced towards it. The huge chain and lock, which secured its doors on the outside, indicated that it was unoccupied and a glance through the narrow slit-like windows confirmed this. The glance through the window also revealed the presence of a complete radio, sending and receiving set of the same general hookup which he himself had adapted for the use of the Cupians and Formians on the other continent. Imitation is the most insulting form of flattery, as Pobloth, the Cupian philosopher, used to say. Yet Cabot was willing to brook the insult, until suddenly it dawned on him that the set had no earphones nor microphone. Of course not since it was designed for use by creatures who possessed neither ears nor vocal speech. Gone, then, was all hope of news from home, even if he could succeed in breaking in. At the most, he would merely be able, by interposing an interrupter in the primary or secondary of that aerial circuit, to send a dot-dash message across the boiling seas. I use the term aerial circuit because antenna circuit would be ambiguous as the latter term might have either its conventional Earth significance, or might mean the circuit in which the Formian operator would place his living antenna in sending and receiving. Well, even a chance to send to Cupia a message to the effect that he was free and safe would be worth something. Miles Cabot tried the slit-like windows, and finding them too narrow, slipped quickly down the nearby slope, soon to return laboriously with the twenty-pound rock, which he heaved against the door. Again and again he heaved the rock, until he had the satisfaction of seeing the door crack and then give. Finally, a large enough opening was effected to afford passage for a man, although not for a foreman, and through this breach Miles Cabot squeezed into the station. A few minutes' scrutiny familiarized him with the details of the hookup, the generator set, and the trophy engine. Everything was in running order, and the fuel tank was full, so he fashioned a rude sending key, broke one of the circuits, and tied in the key. Then he warmed up and cranked the trophy engine, clutched in the generator, threw the main switch, and sat down to flash across the seas the message which he was to hold firm his partisans in Cupia until he could join them. But at that instant, an arrow hummed through the hole in the door and struck quivering in the bench beside him. Cabot sprang to his feet and slid home the huge beam which barred the door on his inside. This was a precaution which he had neglected to take before. 
Next, he filled the hole in the door with some boards hastily wrenched from the workbench. Then, picking up a formian rifle and bandolier which hung on the wall, he made his way to one of the slit windows on the same side as the door and peeped cautiously out. The result was immediate. An arrow sped through the window and passed just above his head. But even as he ducked instinctively, he saw a dark form moving behind a bush at some distance outside. So quickly rising again, he discharged the rifle square at the bush. There came a cry of pain followed by silence, and there was no more feathered intrusions. Not knowing whether his enemy has been disposed of, or whether the cessation of the stream of arrows was merely a ruse to entice him from his shelter, Miles did not dare venture forth to investigate. From the first time the arrow had struck the workbench until the final squelching of the unknown enemy, Miles had been engrossed in action. Now came the reaction, as he realized how narrowly he had twice escaped from death in the last few minutes. He shuddered at the thought and turned pale, not, however, at the danger to himself, but rather at the danger to his loved ones in Kupia. He must keep himself alive until he could reach and save them from whatever peril it was that has caused Lilla to send the SOS, which had recalled him to Porus. But being ever the inquisitive scientist, his attention was soon distracted by the arrow which stood sticking to the bench. Its shaft was of some hard and very springy wood. Its tip was of chopped stone resembling flint and bound to the shaft by vegetable fibers. Its feathers were thin laminate of wood, doubtless because birds, and hence true feathers, are unknown on porous. Why on earth, or rather, on porous, were the ant-men employing such crude weapons? Rifles they had aplenty, and powder was easy to manufacture. Besides, what did they know of bows and arrows, which had never been used by them, even in the days before Cabot the Minorian introduced firearms upon the planet? Thus, these arrows presented a perplexing problem, but a practical job remained to be performed before Miles was to have any time for abstract questions. The message to Cupia must be sent off. The Earthmen returned to the radio set. The trofo engine and the generator were still running. The whole apparatus appeared to be functioning properly. And so Miles sticked off into space the following message. CQ, 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 DE, Cabot, Cabot, Cabot. I have returned to Porus from Minos. I am on the continent of the Formians. I am in complete control there. That was a lie, but it would serve to hearten his supporters or throw the fear of the supreme boulder into the partisans of Yuri which it reached. The message continued, Do not expect me soon, for the first I must consolidate what I have gained here. But when I do come, Yuri beware. My friends, hold out until then. I have spoken. D.E. Cabot. This message he sent again and again, at every wavelength of which the installation was capable. He repeated and repeated it until he was tired. And then, for the first time, he remembered his thirst and his hunger. Fortunately, there was both food and drink in the shack, so Cabot satisfied his wants, and then went at his message again, when at last he paused once more for a rest and shut off the trofo engine. His human ears got a familiar rattling sound. Instantly he realized the situation. One or more ant-men were approaching. Sure enough, as he looked out of a window in the direction of the sound, he saw two of these creatures trotting toward him across the plateau. Both carried rifles slung at their backs. So without waiting for their nearer approach, Miles opened fire. One of the foremans dropped, but the other turned and fled. 
and in spite of the hail of bullets which the earthmen sent after it, reached the crest in apparent safety and disappeared from view. Cabot knew what that meant to him. It portended an early return of the fugitive ant with scores of his fellows to lay siege to the radio station. Then a doubt occurred to him. What if these ants were member of Dago's faction, and he had killed a friend? And so, at the risk of his life, he unbarred the door and rushed out to inspect the dead body. But it was no ant whom he knew. Time would tell whether the surviving ant would return with friends or foes. Meanwhile, Cabot must get busy with his message. So at it again he went, first barring the door again. From time to time he rested and listened for the approach of the Formians. Occasionally he ate and drank. During his longer rests, he carted the rifle, the ammunition, and some provisions to a point quite a distance down the mountainside, and cached them there, for he had formulated a plan of escape. Mostly he stuck to his signaling, Alcupia, or such of it as might still possess long-distance radio sets, in spite of the renewed dominion of Yuri, must be made to know of the return of Miles Cabot from the earth. Night fell, and with it came respite from the danger of Formian attack, for these creatures would never venture forth in the darkness without lights, and lights would betray them. Miles spent part of the night in sending his message, part in watching for approaching lights, and part in dozing. Finally, along toward morning, he set about wrecking the set, for he did not wish the Formians to get into communication with Kupia and undo the effect of his own message by pointing out its falsity. Accordingly, he smashed the tubes, unwound the inductances and transformers, cut all the wiring into little bits, bent the plates of the condensers, chiseled through the coils of the generator, pounded the trophil engine to pieces, and drained the trophil tank. It would be many songs before the new radio set could be built if indeed these Formians knew enough of the art to even build another. His work of destruction completed, he sat down to wait, but the inaction palled on him, and before he knew it, he had fallen sound asleep. He awakened with a start. It was broad daylight. He listened. There was much rattling outside. So he walked to the door, unbarred it, and stepped out. He was not afraid, for on the evening before, he had nailed above the door two cross sticks, the Peruvian equivalent of a flag of truce. At a short distance stood a band of thirty or forty antmen, their leader holding a pair of crossed sticks. Accordingly, the ragged earthmen advanced. Not one of them did he recognize, but this was no indication of their identity. Were these members of the Uri faction, he wondered, or of the faction recently captained by the now-deceased Dago? If the former, they were conquerors intent on adding him to their list of conquests, but if the latter, then they might be fugitives like himself. It behooved him to find out, so he proceeded to a slight depression in the mountaintop, very near the group of Formians. This depression contained soil, and in it he scratched the Peruvian shorthand the words, Yuri or Daga, then pointed to his message and withdrew for a slight distance. One of the ant-men advanced alone to the depression, stared at the words, or rubbed one part of them, and returned to his comrades, at which Cabot in turn advanced. The one word remaining written in the dirt was Yuri. So these were vicious enemies, rather than fugitive friends. Waving a signal that the interview was at an end, Miles Cabot returned with dignity to the shack and pulled down his cross sticks. But then, instead of entering, he suddenly dashed around the house and slid down the mountainside amid a shower of pebbles. Instantly, the Formian pack rushed after him, but they were too late. 
for by the time they had gained the crest he was safely under cover of the bushes making his way down the slope with his rifle ammunition and provision that men evidently feared an ambush for they did not follow this side of the mountain the eastern was wooded instead of the almost impassable boulders over which he had climbed up the other side two days ago accordingly the descent was easy almost pleasant soon he struck a path beside the little brook and followed it until it led out onto the fertile eastern plains which he had observed when he had topped this range of hills behind a large tree beside the brook at the edge of the plain miles cabot stopped and sat down for lunch and it was while seated thus with his back against the tree trunk that an arrow suddenly whistled through the woods and embedded itself in the bark just above his head startled he sprang to his feet seized his rifle and looked around a second arrow sped through the air and this one did not miss him in due course of time miles regained consciousness he was lying on the ground beneath the same tree there was an ugly gash in his head his rifle ammunition and food were gone his face and body were covered with clotted blood and he felt very faint with difficulty he dragged himself to the stream tore off a piece of his ragged toga and washed away some of the gore but it required an almost superhuman effort he lay on the bank and panted his head swam his surroundings began to blur and dance about and then he swooned again after what seemed an interminable time he became dimly conscious that he was lying on something less hard than the ground soft arms were around him someone was crooning to him sweet words and low was this a dream or was he back once more in kupia with his loved ones End of chapter five